The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Uh, if you've been around, you know that we just finished a series last week called Mission 555. And uh, it, it was a great series, great, I thought. I thought it was really series. good. I know I preached every week of it, but I thought it was a really good series. He says humbly. No, I didn't. <laughs> Next week, we begin a brand new series called I Am. We're going to look at the seven I Am statements that Jesus made about himself. But today, we have an in-between week. And um, you know that uh, we have a tremendous heart at Story City. We are a church plant. We're only three years old. We moved to the city. Tyler and I did four years ago. We started with zero people, he and I. And... um, and, and we've got a tremendous heart to plant churches in Los Angeles. And if you were here in December, you heard us cast vision for a new church plant in Santa Clarita. And um, we're just committed to that. We're committed to the gospel in our city. And today, we've got the privilege to be able to hear from a brand new church planter in our city. His name is Travis Cunningham. Travis is planting Story Church, believe it or not, He's not connected to us. Story Church in Rancho Cucamonga. And um, Travis, in his last season of life and ministry, was in Dallas. He moved back to Dallas, to Rancho, which is home for him. And they are in the process of planting a brand new church there. I told him this several weeks ago. I even told him again this morning. Nine out of ten people that ask me how our church is doing always say, Hey, how's Story Church doing? I'm like, it's Story City, but whatever, okay? So I'm excited to actually have Story Church here represented this morning. (laughs) And Travis is going to do a phenomenal job. We're going to open up the scriptures together. If you happen to bring a Bible today, open it up to the book of Matthew. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for Travis. And as soon as we're done, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give a great big Story City Church welcome to Travis Cunningham. Lord, we commend ourselves to you right now. Commend our time to you as we open up the scriptures. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hands and feet to walk in the direction that you would speak to us, Lord. So I pray for Travis, give him clarity and boldness, courage as he speaks the truth of the scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen and amen. You guys give it up for Travis. Well, hey, good morning. How are we? Man, oh man. I never preached from a table before. This is kind of cool. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Uh, If this is your first or second time here, I just do want to say again a very special and warm welcome to you. This is our first time here, and and I pray that the the warmth and the kindness and the love that we've experienced here is what you have experienced as well. Uh, As Pastor Matt said, and and Pastor Matt, just thank you for having me. So privileged that you guys would invest in me in this way and get behind us, and and so excited to to plant Story Church uh, from the lineage of Story City Church, right? Uh, a lot of people say, where'd you steal your name from? And I'll just give credit to you guys because it, it didn't, it wasn't in me. So we'll say I stole it. I repented. The Lord forgave me. We're, we're there. Hey, my, my name, as we already said, is Travis Cunningham. I wish my wife was here. Uh, the kiddos got sick this past week. And even if I'm up here clearing my throat uh, at some point, just forgive me for that. Uh, we, we, my wife and I, Katie, have been married almost six years. We have a three-year-old daughter, Peyton, and a one-year-old son, Owen. And as Pastor Matt said, we're both originally from the Rancho area. And I got saved about 12 years ago. And, and in that moment, my best friend and I began hosting some kind of like 
evangelistic thing in my parents' basement. We didn't even know what to call it. We didn't have language for it. We were just gathering our friends, telling them they're dummies and that they needed Jesus. And, and, and the Lord brought some fruit. But, but in that moment, in that season of my life, the Lord really gave us a vision to see a new church planted in my hometown amongst my family and friends and people that I just really dearly love and wanted to know, love, and follow Jesus. And, and the past 12 years, the Lord has kept telling me, no, not yet, no, not yet, no, not yet. Needed a season of training, of maturity, and those kind of things. And so we spent the past five years in the great nation of Texas. Yeah. Any, any, raise your hand if you're from Texas. Man, like, so I thought California had a lot of pride, and then I moved to Texas, and it's like, they call themselves a nation. Like, you kidding me? Um, and, and so anyways, we, we loved Texas. I served on staff as a pastor at the Village Church uh, for about five years. Okay, a couple of, couple of people are aware of us. Um, and, and about eight weeks ago, the elders and the staff there laid their hands on my wife and I and our team to, to commission us back to California to see a new gospel outpost in my hometown, a place that we really want to see have a new church and not just one new church, but it, as Pastor Matt's already said, we want to be a church that's committed to planting churches everywhere in Southern California. I love this place. And so as you guys plant churches, we're going to be your biggest fans. We're going to champion you. And we hope that you will do that for us as well. I, I love that you guys are, what, three years old? Is that, that, and like, look what the Lord's done. I mean, come on. Yeah, celebrate the Lord for a second. Like new disciples, a church that's going to be planted already, and we are praying and believing and expecting that the Lord's going to do the same for us. So as you pray, remember us in your prayers, please. We, we need it. We're only six weeks in, and the Lord's created a little bit of momentum, but, but with that comes, as you know, attack and, and discouragement and those kind of things. And so pray for my family and I. Pray for our team. We've got another uh, few people moving out from Texas here in the next couple of weeks, so pray for them as they get here and get going. So that's enough about me, let's turn our attention to the scriptures. Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Let me read that over us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I have a question for you. What does Los Angeles need? Like, what does Los Angeles need? If you're not overly familiar with starting a new church, uh, as you go to a new city or a new location, this is a question you need to be asking yourself a lot. So, so some things we know about starting new churches is, one, Jesus' love for that city never changes. The gospel of Jesus Christ never changes. Preaching the Bible never changes. Living in community never changes. But the way in which you preach the Bible and bring the gospel to bear on that new city is changing. So, for example, the way in which you preach the Bible and live out the implications of the gospel here in Burbank is very different from the way in which you're going to do that in, say, Mongolia, it's just going to change. It's going to shift. Like any good missionary, uh, you're going to think about your context and how you want to bring the gospel to bear. So for the past 12 months, as we've prepared to move back and think about our strategy of how we hope to see the gospel impact our city, I've asked myself this question, what does Los Angeles need? What does Rancho Cucamonga need? What do the people around us need? But, but here's a problem that I experienced in my thinking. I was asking myself that question from 1,500 miles away in the relative safety of a North Dallas suburb. 
And as we've moved back here and, 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 and assimilated back into culture and got comfortable around our family and friends again, and, uh, we've discovered that some of our answers to that question, what does Los Angeles need, have been off a little bit. As we've got back into culture, what we've discovered is that Los Angeles will do some weird things to a person if you're not careful. Am I right? <laughs> and, 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 and as I've previously answered this question, what does Los Angeles need? I've answered it with big and lofty and fancy answers, and, and yet in the past six weeks, my answer has changed drastically. Here's what I mean by that. Living in Los Angeles for any fraction of time could lead you to, to despair, right? I mean, we're, this cost of living will crush you. I mean, how many more taxes can actually exist? <laughs> yeah, shh. The, the commute times and the traffic, exhaustion and isolation, right? I heard a statistic this past week that for every 10 minutes you sit in traffic and commute, you lose about 10% of your social capital. So say you commute for 20 minutes, you're at about 80% of your full capacity for social interaction, which means most of us in this room this morning are operating from a deficit. The, the longing to have things pretty and put together into front as if everything's good. Like, man, we can't keep up with that. On the inside, I find myself thinking, is anyone else barely hanging on by a thread? This pining for recognition and fame and celebrity is just something that we're told is normal. And if I don't have it, I must be doing something wrong. The near lack of control over our calendars because time is at such a premium for all of us. That can be really disorienting, right? And so if I'm careful, uh, this city will do some really weird things to me. And it will do really weird things to you as well. And, and I'm guessing if you're a sinner like me, which you are, you probably struggle in one or two of those areas that I listed above. But I'm here to say there is really, really good news for us this morning. There is great news for us this morning so again, what, what does Los Angeles need? Previously, I would say, man, Los Angeles needs service to the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. It needs mission to our neighbors and our coworkers and our, and our children and our homes. And, and we need real biblical community where friendship can exist. And yes and amen, Los Angeles needs all of those things and more of those things. But what I've found is that Los Angeles will cause you to build up a wall of resistance to prevent those things from actually entering your life if you're, if you're not careful. And I think I think one of the primary ways that we can cause that wall to be torn down and we can actually bring those things to bear in our lives and lives of those around us is rest. That, that's not fancy. That's simple, right? Rest? That, that's all you got for us? That's all I got for you. So when I ask the question, what does Los Angeles need? I'm asking, what does Travis Cunningham need? What does the Cunningham family need? What do you need? And I really believe that the, one of the primary ways we can answer that question is with the word rest. So here's what we're going to do. Here's a phrase I want you to remember today. Again, it's not fancy, but I want you to remember this. Jesus is inviting you to true rest. Right now, here and now, Jesus is inviting you to true rest. 
So we're going to work our way back through the text, and, and I really believe these are some of the most magnificent words of Jesus in the New Testament. It's, it's like a, these words are like a beautiful diamond. Like when you get a diamond, you must in, inspect it from different angles and under different lighting to truly capture the beauty of that diamond. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at this text from four different angles. First, we're going to look at the invitation of Jesus. Then we're going to look at the promise of Jesus connected to that invitation. Then we're going to look at the qualifications Jesus gives. And then we're going to look at how we should respond to his invitation. So first, let's look at the invitation of Jesus. Look back to the text with me. Verse 28, the very beginning, come to me. This is Jesus speaking, come to me. And then halfway down in verse 29, he says, learn from me. So how many of us, when we picture Jesus speaking, we picture some kind of like commander sitting on top of a high tower, shouting orders down at his people? And how many of us picture a kind and gentle and loving Savior? Now, for, for sure, there are commands in the New Testament from Jesus that we must obey, that Jesus wants us to obey. But how many of us view him as some kind of tyrant that's speaking down upon us as if we're, as if we're his minions? But, but how many of us see this text where Jesus says of himself, I am gentle, I am lowly in heart, just come to me. How many of us picture Jesus wooing us to himself saying, come, be with me. I don't think many of us have much room to understand what that means. We, we paint some kind of caricature of who Jesus is in our minds. But I'm here to say he is a kind savior. And he is wooing you to himself. Come to me, Jesus is saying. To make those words um, as stunning as they are, I, I got to tell you a little bit of the background of the text we find ourselves in. So if you're not familiar with the New Testament, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of the Gospels serve a different purpose to, to show uh, who Jesus is, and, and we're meant to bring those Gospels together to get a holistic picture of Jesus. Well, here in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a Gospel account that is deeply Jewish. So what you're going to see throughout Matthew is, is a couple of prominent themes. Most prominent among them is that Jesus is the Messiah that the Old Testament promised, and he came to be a king over God's people, over God's kingdom. And, and, and yet, this, when Jesus comes on the scene and he begins preaching this, he does not preach this in the way that, that the Israelites expected him to. What, what the Jews expected for this king to preach, this Messiah to preach, was that I came to create a socio or political empire, and we're going to defeat all of God's enemies, and we're going to have our little paradise, and, I, and that's it. It's just going to be me and you, and we're going to rule over the world. But Jesus came on the scene preaching something altogether different, saying, I came to save not only you, but even the enemies, and to gather them into my kingdom, and I will rule over a universal kingdom, and all are welcome to join it. And the Jews didn't like that. And one particular faction of the Jews called the Pharisees really didn't like that. And the reason why is the Pharisees loved law. They really loved the laws of the Old Testament. They loved the laws of the Old Testament so much so that they continued to add to the law. And, and, and when Jesus came, he came preaching grace, not law. Jesus came and said, I fulfilled the law. And if you come to me, you can have my perfect life, my perfect righteousness. And, the, and the, the Pharisees really didn't like that because what the Pharisees preached was go work your way into God's good favor. favor. Go earn God's love. Go earn God's grace. Go earn God's smile upon you. And Jesus said, I'm here to give it to you. 
I'm here to give you my life. You don't have to earn anything. It is only by grace. And it created this clash. And so in this text, when Jesus is saying, come to me, he's inviting these people into an invitation of grace where they don't have to earn a single thing. They don't merit it in any way. In essence, he is confronting these Pharisees saying, you're wasting away by toiling and trying to fulfill these hundreds of laws. You're working so hard to accomplish something you cannot accomplish. And then he offers the way of grace. And the difference here between grace and law is massive. You see, the the law of the Pharisees would say, do, and the grace of Jesus would say, it's done. The law of the Pharisees would say, accomplish, and the grace of Jesus says, it is finished. The law of the Pharisees would say, perform, and the grace of Jesus would say, receive. The law of the Pharisees would say work, and the grace of Jesus would say rest. But how many of us in our worldviews here in Los Angeles have room to receive this gracious invitation of Jesus? I'm willing to bet not many of us. Like how many of us in our thinking are constantly thinking, accomplish, perform, earn, work, do, And how many of us are saying, it is done, it is finished, rest and receive? My my thinking doesn't have a ton of room for, for that, if I'm being honest with you. And that's where the Lord just worked me over this past week as I prepped for this message. Like, I, I tried to force myself into a posture of resting in the grace of Jesus, and I found it incredibly hard. And then I began to capture the thoughts that were crossing my mind, and most of them were thoughts of condemnation. Like, Travis, as a new church planter and pastor, I had thoughts of, like, aren't you going to work harder? You haven't done enough. God might love you if you do just a little bit more. Aren't you going to say yes to that person? Wouldn't God like you a little bit more if you did that? Wouldn't God have more favor upon you if you just went and met that need? What about you? As I'm just sharing of the gracious invitation of Jesus, not to go and do, but to sit and rest, what kind of thoughts are you having? I mean, it's thoughts like this, like if I just white knuckle it enough, then maybe God will finally accept me. If I just show up and serve enough, won't God love me just a little bit more? If I just give enough to this cause or or to this person, won't God finally be pleased with me? If I just blank, like fill in the blank for yourself, like what's your just, if I just, and then God will love me. And and at the root of that, in my thinking, in any type of thinking like that, is a works-based righteousness that we can do something to earn from God. But there's no room for that kind of thinking in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear me, I'm not telling you to be lazy I'm telling you, we are all to be zealous in our good works for the Lord, but what I am telling you to do is to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. I want to say as boldly as possible, if you are united to Jesus Christ in faith, the work that Jesus has done is done on your behalf. You have no more work to do to get to God. He is already in you. He has already accepted you. And we work from that place, not to that place. You understand the difference there. 
If we're working to the acceptance of God, we're never gonna get there. But if we work from the acceptance of God, man, God will be mighty in us and through us. And so when God declares over his son, Jesus, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, believer, he is saying the same to you. Jesus is saying to you, this is my son, this is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. That's a breath of fresh air, right? Here's the problem, though. We've been so discipled by our culture that we cannot recognize the genuine sincerity of Jesus to this invitation. Just this past week, I went to a friend's house, and and they adopted a new dog, and and the dog's name was Javon. I I like that name. Um, We called him Joe. Uh, So Joe, when when we arrived, there was about four or five of us adult men walking into the backyard. He sees us walk into the backyard, and he scampers off to a corner, and he begins hiding. And as we walk towards him, he begins to recoil. And as I walk up, and I I lower down, and I, I reach my hand to his nose so he can smell me a little bit, I want to pet him, he begins growling. Why? Because Javon is from a shelter, and, and he probably, prior to that, his owner just beat him. And so he does not know how to recognize the genuine love and sincerity of a human that wants to come pet him and get to know him and hold him. And when Jesus speaks these words of grace to us, when he says, just come to me and learn from me, we are like Javon. We begin recoiling from Jesus. As he approaches us, we begin bracing for him to discipline us. But friends, that is not the gospel. Jesus, by grace, is saying, come to me. He is beckoning all of us this morning. My desire for you this morning is to hear this invitation drenched in the grace of God towards you. This invitation is open. So first, we have this invitation of Jesus. But next, we get this beautiful promise connected to this invitation. Look back to the text. Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So I have a three-year-old daughter, as I already said. Her name's Peyton. She's incredible. Um, and, and, and I work pretty hard, and I, I work usually five and a half, six days a week, and, and, but I take one day off a week, and, and I try really hard to guard that day just for a family day, no technology, nothing to interrupt our time together. And, and Peyton, usually in the midweek, about Tuesday, Wednesday, as I get ready to go to work, she's like, Daddy, don't go to work. Stay with me. I'm like, baby, I got to go. We got to pay bills. Don't you want to eat? And... Uh, and so anyways, I, we started a phrase, my daughter and I, where I say, baby, fr- Friday's coming. And what she understands that to mean is that daddy's off on Friday, and that usually means that Peyton and daddy are going to go do a donut date together. She loves donuts. But, but here's what happens sometimes. You know, Thursday afternoon hits, and the emails start coming in, the phone calls, and people start saying, hey, can we get that breakfast tomorrow? It's my only time I got open. Hey, hey, can we just get an hour together? And I go to my wife, Katie, come on, it's just one time. And, and eventually Friday comes, my daughter wakes up, and she's like, it's Friday, donuts! And I'm like, baby daddy's got to go. And she's let down. Because I didn't fulfill my promise to her, and she thinks daddy's words are not trustworthy. Now, I promise I try to be a better dad than that, and that doesn't happen all that often. But, but way too often when we hear this invitation of Jesus with this promise of rest, what we do is we begin bracing for the letdown as if we accept this invitation and come to Jesus. He's not truly going to give us rest. 
But y'all, let me tell you something. I just said y'all. Yeah. Come on. I'm going to keep it, right? People are terrible at keeping promises. God is perfect at it. The promise of rest from the words of Jesus are true. And when I hear this word rest, that's enticing. Like how many of us hear rest and we're like, sign me up for that. Like think about this. When we had this minute to mingle here just a few moments ago, when you met a few new people and you said, how are you doing? I'm guessing if you met 10 people, 10 times you got the answer, I'm tired or I'm busy. And you probably said that yourself too, because we're all tired and busy in here. And we hear this word rest and it's like, yes. So let me explain to you what the Bible means by this word rest, because here's what the Bible does not mean. It does not mean laziness. It doesn't mean sleeping in a few extra hours. It doesn't mean vacation time from work. It doesn't mean a couple more episodes of the office late at night. It doesn't mean uh, a lack of hard work or responsibility in your life. It doesn't mean a babysitter more often. I'd like all of those things, but that's not what the Bible's talking about here. What the Bible is saying is a genuine refreshment and relief from sin, death, and the devil. Like, isn't that appealing? This refreshment from sin, death, and the devil. I want that. Like carrying around the daily burdens of my flesh and my own sin to have relief from that through the gospel of Jesus. I want to rest easy in that. To know that the grave has been defeated. We just sang it a few minutes ago. There's no burden. When those condemning thoughts come in from the enemy, the fact that I can say, uh-uh, that ain't true. I can rest easy in the finished work of the gospel. The fact that I am completed, fully, freely, forever forgiven in Jesus Christ, yeah. And nothing can change that. I want that. And I hope you do too. Because that is the promise of Jesus connected to this invitation. And there's both an eternal and a temporary reality to this promise. Like, it's both for here and now and forevermore. Like, here and now, in this moment, Jesus was speaking to the Jews who were so weighed down by the daily burden of trying to fulfill the law that they could not fill. And he's saying, hey, rest from that. And we, too, have rest here and now from our own sin nature trying to creep in and defeat us. But no, no. That ain't true. I'm resting in the gospel. And it also has a forever reality. Did you hear that phrase, rest for your souls? There is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. There's nothing you can do to change your status before God. If you are united to Christ, you are forever saved, and you will have forever peace with God and rest in him. This is a forever promise. First, Jesus invites us to himself, and then he promises this rest in him through invitation. But third, he gives a qualification. Because here's the deal. If you want in on this promise, you must qualify for the promise. Look at verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. There's the qualification right there. All who labor and are heavy laden. And to show whether or not you are heavy laden, whether you're carrying this burden, Jesus gives this imagery of a yoke. 
So in the Old Testament, um, or in the Bible times, I should say, um, there's a lot of imagery towards agricultural and towards yokes. And so yokes were, there was typically a pair of um, oxen or some type of animal that were called to pull something or to plow a field, and, and one ox was not enough to do it. So they had to pair a couple up uh, with a wooden shaft or, or, or a yoke is what they called it, and they would pull it together. And Jesus was telling these people that the law was this yoke that they could not carry, that they were heavy trying to pull and Jesus gives this qualification to say that to them like if you want in on this promise of rest you must recognize that you're carrying a yoke that you are insufficient to carry and I'm willing to bet that many of us walked in here today carrying a yoke that is way too heavy for us to bear like we live in this vacuum of comparison around us where we see everyone pretty and put together and we can't keep up with that. We live in this vacuum of self-righteousness where I can just do enough to earn. We live in this vacuum of fronting where I gotta say I'm good, blessed and highly favored. So they said in the South. <laughs> I didn't get it. But ultimately, we're carrying a yoke that is way too heavy and that yoke is called our sin. We are sinners who have condemned ourselves by rebelling against God, and, and we are the rightful subjects of his punishment because of our sin, and there's nothing we can do to remedy that situation. Sometimes the Bible will use kind of debt-to-debtor language to describe our sin, that we are in debt so steep to God, no matter how long we work and how hard we work, we could never even pay a fraction of that debt off. But Jesus, in Colossians, tells us that he paid our record of debt. He canceled it. And yet we still so often try to go back and carry that burden of trying to pay off our sin and earn God's favor. And we are weary and we are worn out and we are heavy laden because of it. And so we all in this room are qualified for this promise. We are qualified to receive this invitation and the promise that comes with it. So let's look at how we should respond. Jesus starts this sermon or this, this text with, come to me. And after studying this passage a little bit this past week, I found myself wondering, how do I get this? I was even talking to someone before service, and he said a few years ago, I, was, I viewed it as my sabbatical year where I was going to take a year off and just kind of rest a little bit, and I went to go find some material, and I just couldn't find anything. Because in the Western mindset, especially in the church, we're told do, 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 not be. So how do I get this rest? And that's where it clicked for me. This isn't something I go get. This is something I sit and receive. Like we don't go get rest. Think about an invitation, the nature of an invitation. Like when you get, in, see, let's say you see someone get uh, engaged on a sidewalk. You don't go walk up to them and be like, can I have my invitation? No, no, no. You sit and eventually it hits the mailbox and you get an invitation and all you must do is check yes or no. Am I going to respond to this wedding invitation? Am I going to go? Am I not going to go? Am I going to have steak, chicken, fish, none of it? Because wedding food is usually terrible. Um, I don't know why I went there. <laughs> if you're having a wedding soon, have good food, please. <laughs> but that's how the nature of invitations work. We don't go get them. We sit and wait for them to come to us. And Jesus is giving us the invitation here and now. 
Jesus is saying, sit and receive my righteousness. I'm ready to give it to you. Sit and receive the benefits that come with being united to me in faith. Sit and receive my kindness and the promises of the faith. Sit and receive my grace. Stop trying to earn. Stop trying to go grab. Stop posturing yourself as one who will labor labor and toil and strain for something you cannot earn. Instead, let's all posture ourselves as one who sit and receive in the grace of Jesus and the rest that comes with it. Receive the invitation. Respond to the invitation in faith and surrender and then enter into the joy of the rest of Jesus. All too often when when Jesus gives us an invitation and we respond to it, we have some clause connected to it, right? Yeah, Jesus, but I want to respond, yes, Jesus, but what about this thing over here? Uh, I got some sin that's hidden over here. I need to clean that up. Then I'll come to you. Yes, Jesus, and I want to maintain what I have going over here. I, I want to keep you separated from that. I'll take a little bit of you, but not all of you. Yes, just give me a few moments, Jesus, and then I'll come to you. But what if we all collectively laid down the clauses in our, in our speaking and just said yes, full stop? No buts, <laughs> no ands, no just just faith and surrender. It's what you need and it's what I need. Like think about how the gospel can penetrate our hearts and our minds and our lives if we lay down the walls that we're building up to separate us from Jesus. We just rest in it. We just sit and breathe. How many of us have room to breathe and rest and sit in peace in our day to day? Not many of us. And then you can work from that place of rest to go display and declare a gospel so beautiful to a lost and dying world. Like Los Angeles needs rest. You need rest. I need rest. Let's go and get it. The opposite response to this invitation would just to, to be to hide it, to, to, to cheer up, to, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, to trek on even harder, to work even more, to do just a little bit. That's not the reaction Jesus wants from us. The response Jesus wants from us is rest. Respond to the invitation. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite the band to come back up. And I just want you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to do a little bit of ministry for a second. Like we actually have a few moments where we can just sit and be before we step back out into this world. So bow your heads and close your eyes and, and just and, and, and spend a few minutes praying and, and I'm going to prompt you as you pray. And this is just how I prayed this week, if I'm being honest. Pray and and confess to the Father where you refuse to see the invitation of Jesus, where you refuse to see Jesus correctly. Do you see him as a kind and gentle Savior? Pray and confess where you're trying to work your way into God's good graces. 
like right now Jesus is saying to you, you are holy in me. There's nothing you can do to make me love you a little more or love you a little less. Pray and ask the Spirit to help you surrender the, the, the buts, the ands, the justs, the clauses of our, our speaking. Pray and respond to this invitation. Ask Jesus for the rest that only he can give, not some kind of phony rest, but a real, abiding, eternal rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place. Pray and ask God to reveal to you where are you works-based in your mind and how can the grace of God cover that? Father, we love you. We thank you that though we were orphaned, you adopted us and made us sons and daughters. And what a stunning reality it is that we can call you Father. And you are a good Father that gives your children good things. And so, Father, for many of us who are doubting and, and skeptical and wandering, enslaved to sin, um, just in this moment, we lay before you and we say, give us rest. Reassure us. Give us peace. Give us hope. Give us joy. We cannot produce those things in of ourselves, but you have given us those things by the gospel. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he saved us. Help us to rightly receive all the benefits of the gospel. Help us to rest easy in the gospel. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.